is burning. Welcome to World is Burning, the podcast for your climate anxiety. I am Olivia. And I am Elise. Uh, and today we're going to be talking um, about materials and fabrics. Um, mm. I'm going to be talking about good old cotton. And and remind me exactly what you're talking about. Are you talking about it's microfiber? A, yeah, it's sort of a meandering type of story, generally about like synthetic materials and then, yeah, microfibers. Okay, so we have we have our our natural fibers and we have our synthetic fibers, mm-hmm. which, you know, we all, I feel like we all probably have experience with both of those things. Um, <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think it's safe to say. You know, if you wear, if you're alive, this this pertains to you. If you wear clothes um, or move about this world, you've probably experienced these things. <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> One of the two, at least. So, should should I get into my story? Do you have anything else that you want to mention at the top of this this little guy? Um, I think you can go into it. So, uh, as I said, I'm going to be talking about cotton today, and uh, my sources are USDA, Vox, The Guardian, Reference for Business, New York Times, The WTO, HuffPost, QZ, and World Wildlife. Uh, and this was definitely a very fun um, research time because you know I'd find a source that I thought was maybe good and then I'd be like mm, this is paid for by H&M and Inditex mm. really really cool and like that stuff would be cited in Vogue and like all different things so it was a lot of like clicking into sources and being like mm, this maybe isn't the best source to use um so that was just a fun little you know side fact if you wanted to know be careful if you're researching about fabrics who paid for that research i'd say the same thing for microfiber which isn't even like Mm -hmm. a brand or Uh like i was looking at a microfiber cloth and i couldn't they weren't like in that sense you know funded by h&m or anything Mm -hmm. that dramatic but i was just like what does this person writing this article get out of selling microfibers to me this hard with like no downsides it's very confusing so yeah I guess it's just like general industry blogs but I'm like what's the Mm -hmm. point yeah so so that was kind of just like something to keep an eye out for um Mm -hmm. but you know cotton I don't know if you have any specific feelings about cotton I have the cotton song stuck in my head (laughs) as soon as (laughs) you started talking (laughs) yeah um so I mean, like, I definitely, like, if I, I see something that's, like, 100% cotton, especially since there are so many blends nowadays, um, I'm always just like, ooh, that's nice. And it's just, you know, it's I feel like a fabric that feels nice. It's comfortable. A lot of comfortable clothes are made out of it. So, like, I generally have a good perception of cotton as a whole. I don't, I don't know if you feel the same or have more complicated feelings. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's, like, the deep connection to forced labor and slavery in the U.S., yes, which I'm sure yes. you'll at least partially get yes. into. But other than th- other than that, um, when I'm thinking about, yeah, 100% cotton clothes, that's a big pro to me. Is it's breathable. Yes. It's like, yeah, it's a natural fiber. It's not using synthetics. I find it comfortable. It holds mm-hmm. dye as well, too, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, overall, as a fiber and material not like obviously there's a whole deep fraught history around it but like as a fiber it's something that I enjoy wearing Mm -hmm. um 
And as you said, you have the cotton song uh, stuck in your head. Mm -hmm. And I feel like everyone has probably seen, if you live in the United States, the um, fabric of our lives, cotton commercials, Mm -hmm. which as far as commercials go, I can't necessarily really think of an example of another commercial that I've seen many, many times and many, many different iterations of it that is for a specific crop or or just like general material or fiber that isn't specifically related to like a brand or a product that I can go and purchase. Yeah, the only other... I don't know if you can think of anything. Well, it's not a material, but it's the other thing I mentioned to you before this episode, which was, I was like, wait, should I do my story on milk? Because the Got Milk campaigns, and not really... I guess there are commercials for those, but I think of them more as like billboards and posters and all the things with the celebrities with the milk mustache. Yeah. Paid for by milk, but that is... Yeah, it's a little bit different. Okay, that is that is like the one big other one I can think of. But like overall, out of every other thing you can buy, like it's yeah, a no. pretty ra- like pretty rare thing. So basically, like why do these c- commercials exist and who is behind them? Yes, I need to know. Um, so way back in the 1920s, cotton had an 88 percent share of apparel sales. So like very huge share of the market in terms of clothing. And then uh, in the 30s, there was a whole lot of trouble for cotton farmers, which was initially addressed by FDR in the Agricultural Adjustment Act, uh, which basically paid farmers to stop producing or to decrease production of cotton while they worked through a surplus. And while that act did help with the situation, it was later found unconstitutional. And there were still like a bunch of failures in the government's actions that led farmers to create their own organization called the National Cotton Council in 1938. And it was designed to speak on behalf of cotton interests. So that all that's kind of a big group of people, including cotton producers, ginners, warehousemen, uh, merchants, cotton seed crushers, with the stated goal of increasing the consumption of cotton and products thereof. And um, while that organizing was great for them, kind of there was some more bad news in store for cotton producers. And that is that the post-war era ushered in the popularity of synthetic fibers. Mm. So the share of cotton uh, or like the cotton share of apparel sales dropped to 68% by 1957, which again is down from 88% in 1920. So like it sounds very, very good for (laughs) to have over like well over half the, you know, market in terms of like apparel materials. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it is also down by a lot, basically because not all of the former interest groups involved in the National Cotton Council had the same level of interest. So like, for example, uh, millers could make fabric with synthetic fibers just as easily, if not more so, than cotton. Hmm. So they didn't have quite a big uh, of stake in that because they could just like go on to this other thing that was essentially the direct competitor of cotton. So because of this, the Cotton Producers Institute was formed under the NCC and then eventually that broke from the council and adopted the name Cotton Incorporated which we know today from the cotton commercials. 
So if if you know the little like square logo that says cotton, mm-hmm. there's a little like cotton fluff coming out of the tees, like that's their logo. So that's kind of how the force behind the commercials came to be. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, that's kind of your short answer. Cotton Incorporated is paid for by people who produce cotton. So like cotton farmers and whatnot. So by the 70s, synthetic fibers were really taking over and cotton went down to having around a 30% share of apparel sales. So Cotton Inc. started its advertising focusing on baby boomers who compared to their parents who, you know, love synthetic fibers, were down for something that was like quick and easy and whatever. Um, The baby boomers rebelliously loved cotton products like t-shirts and jeans. And so Cotton Inc. focused on the long-term marketing goal of kind of changing public opinion around cotton as like a material and a way of life, I guess. And it paid off, which I think is really cool because like the commercials are kind of confusing because it's like they're not really hard selling you on anything. Mm-hmm. They're just like cotton's a vibe. Um, they're always really so, dreamlike, not in like an yeah. esoteric kind of way, but they're just like, that was nice. You know, the, yeah. the latest one that I can remember is this woman playing piano in like a nice, really lush like park. And then there's like a guy, yeah. a dad and his little daughter, and they have some like short interaction and you watch it and I just always feel nice afterwards, even though I don't know why it's happening. Yeah, it's always just like a comforting, calming, stress-free moment mm-hmm. in the commercials. So that kind of makes sense. That's why they're just so like randomly vibey and they're not like cotton does this for you. X, Y, Z. This is why it's good. They're just like we are selling cotton as like a cool lifestyle choice, I guess. Um yeah, I always feel like there's just I, I remember there was one. Was it like Kelly Clarkson that did one a couple years ago or someone like that where very likely I didn't even know that that's what it was about because it was like uh-huh. that's not what she was talking about in the commercial. Yeah. But you can only tell afterwards. You're like, oh, everything she's wearing is, yeah, like T-shirt and jeans. And then there's always like really blown out or really flowy white curtains behind them. Some sort of like yeah. white in it that yeah I guess it gives that sort of like angelic thing to it too I don't know there's a lot that we could read into the set design maybe (laughs) I'm reading into it too much yeah but I always those are commercials that I'm continuously surprised I'm like oh cotton council I cool like wasn't expecting that yeah yeah so essentially you know this idea paid off um so like they debuted the fabric of our lives commercials with that little jingle which I'm not going to sing right now. Uh, We've all got it stuck in our heads already. (laughs) You know it. You know it. Uh, Well, I'll I'll put a link to like a whole compilation of the videos if you do want to go through and watch them all. No. Uh, (laughs) uh, And that first debuted in the late 80s. And oh, that is actually cool. Sorry, that was too (laughs) judgy. Yeah, that's cool to hear it throughout the decades, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see like the one in the late 80s is like really trippy and weird I don't know it's just like synthy or something like it's not it's a lot like heavier than the ones where they're like we're gonna have Zoe Deschanel like sing about cotton Mm -hmm. uh so like interesting to watch the progression for sure uh but anyway those commercials paid off um and through the late 90s to 2000 demand for cotton reached 64.5 percent share of home fabrics uh, the market for home fabrics. 
So, I mean, that's that's not a peril, but I think like cotton became a bigger place like in the home and just like, you know, in linens and all sorts of stuff like that. So cotton kind of had a little bit of a comeback. But interestingly enough, right after the financial crisis in 2009, there were a whole slew of the fabric of our lives commercials. Um, And I I think just like a greater concentration of them with even like just bigger names. So like Zoe Deschanel, as I mentioned, had one. Miranda Lambert, Leona Lewis, um, Colby Calais, and a bunch of other singers um, all had these commercials, which, you know, since the financial crisis kind of kicks off this like insane boom of fast fashion and demand for greater and greater quantities of cheaper and cheaper clothing, you know, which might not contain cotton, might have more synthetic materials in them, uh, or again, like a blender mix. It's kind of just interesting to see like a little marketing freak out of like who are who are like the biggest names that we can get promoting this like cotton lifestyle. Mm. Um, So I just I just saw like a lot of the articles around the fabric of our lives commercials like focused on that like 2009 campaign, which is just like kind of an interesting thing to see, I guess. And that is Um, interesting, too, though. So. I don't know, is all of the in all of the commercials, are they wearing always a hundred percent cotton? Is that sort of a stress too, or not really? I don't think it's really stressed, but I think it's kind of implied. Mm-hmm. Um they're not like a cotton polyester blend is the fabric of my life. Yeah. They're like <laughs> cotton. And stretched um, and like Yeah, and I feel like that was like I mean, like, you know, Zoe Deschanel style, like with her like kind of pleated skirts and I feel like sundresses were such a thing at the time mm-hmm. I mean th- I feel like they're ne- sundresses are never not a thing but I feel like it was like especially yeah around it was then. yeah and very just like kind of flowy a-line shapes and stuff um and, and it is fun to to watch the commercials because I feel like there is a very like 2008-2009 look to them and the fashion obviously but just like waistlines and like different things it's very funny yeah because it's not the like when I think of cotton I think of more I feel like the like eco uh eco-friendly looks now where that are very like neutral tones and like very natural and like mm-hmm. um earthy looking linen and like yeah just like earthy colors you know flowy light but like that's not really 100% the vibe of these commercials mm-hmm. which is just kind of funny but yeah so I mean they're not saying like they don't say much in the commercials as a thing they're not like pitching 100% cotton Mm -hmm. but I do think it's implied but again I feel like almost the point of the commercials is they're not there's no facts there's no information (laughs) it's just just vibes just vibes (laughs) um and that yeah cotton's the fabric of our lives so yeah again not really much information at all so that's just yeah again funny commercials with huge names just vibes Mm -hmm. um so that kind of happened after the financial crisis um which i just thought was really interesting but overall from what i can tell those like mysterious cotton commercials are mostly the result of cotton farmers wanting to make sure that they can feed their families and just like you know promoting their product um as a whole, which um, I definitely like the mysteriousness of them and just like the vagueness of them. Thought I thought that maybe I could like dig and find some like really huge scandal Dirty or like yeah behind them, which like Cotton Incorporated does work with some like 
potentially shady organizations and networks of like really big money and also has some very serious greenwashing claims on their website. Hmm. Um, but, you know, you can't just call cotton an eco-friendly, env- environmentally sustainable fab or like material because like that's, you know, got to break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just because it's not plastic, although <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. But yeah, the commercials and their operations are pretty straightforward. And like overall are pretty important to understanding what the modern day cotton market looks like in America. But, you know, while I didn't necessarily uncover any major scandals around the cotton commercials, we're not going to stop there. Because, of course, (laughs) like so many other things on this podcast, there are actually tons of sinister things about cotton, which we've kind of already touched on a little bit. Let's go. So obviously and like. Again, this we could have 16 episodes about just cotton um, in America. But first and most obviously, which you already said, is that the cotton industry in America was built on slavery. So the whole industry is built on something that's just like terrible and not necessarily acknowledged as much as it should be by like cotton producers. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the fact that slave labor and child labor is often used to grow cotton today then you have the fact that cotton's a super Wait, uh, resource yeah, i didn't i didn't even know that yeah that's horrific which like honestly i'm not gonna go that deep into that because like again that would be a whole other um, well yeah the whole fashion industry is horrific yeah you have like the the weaker situation mm. in china and forced labor around cotton and there's there's honestly so much which again like that is its own episode. I I can't like break all of that down and talk about everything. Um but like super red flags in terms of past and present labor when it comes to forced labor mm-hmm. and child labor. Yeah, and then it's a very resource intensive crop with one t-shirt worth of cotton consuming as much as 2700 liters of water. And then Um, You have the fact that lots of pesticides and chemicals are used to grow non-organic cotton, which pollutes the environment. So lots of dark things in cotton. And again, I think like each of those things could have their very own episode. Mm -hmm. But there's one thing that kind of stuck out to me about the U.S. cotton industry that is particularly fascinating and that is subsidies, which maybe sounds like the least interesting thing of all of that. But I think it's really interesting. Um, no, it is. And I also feel like <laughs> corn subsidies is something that comes up mm-hmm. way more mm-hmm. often in my adult life and in this podcast, especially than yes. I would have ever thought about. So I would imagine cotton yes. subsidies are similar. Yes. So subsidy summer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hot subsidy summer is what we're having here at World's Burning. <laughs> uh, so um, anyway, so the American subsidizing of cotton farming, again, like it might sound harmless because it's meant to protect farmers well-being since like, you know, weather happens, whatever, like it's important to take care of farmers and make sure that, you know, they have an incentive to keep growing things, even if it's like there's a lot of risk involved. But this goes so much farther than just like protecting the well-being of farmers. And I think it kind of demonstrates a lot of the hypocrisy of the United States. So the first little bit of fuckery here is that while the United States pays out billions of dollars in subsidies to cotton farmers, 
It refuses to pay reparations to the descendants of people who were enslaved by cotton farmers Mm -hmm. and made the U.S. a huge producer of cotton. So, you know, it's one of those situations where, like, when things like that are always brought up, you know, where are we going to get the money for that? If only there were billions of dollars Mm -hmm. that we could maybe tap into to pay reparations. So that's kind of the first thing. The second bit of fuckery is that American subsidies just absolutely fuck the global cotton market. Hmm. So in 2002, Brazil brought up a complaint against the U.S. with the World Trade Organization about how the American government spending billions of dollars a year to keep their cotton exports artificially low was damaging and a violation of trade agreements. And the WTO actually agreed with Brazil and said that the combination of illegal export subsidies and actionable domestic programs were to blame for this. So some of the export subsidies were changed uh, in response to this, but domestic programs didn't. And essentially, a couple things might have changed on paper, but like really nothing of significance happened Hmm. in response to this complaint, even though the WTO said it violated trade agreements and was illegal. Um, Yeah, they're like, you're right. That sucks. (laughs) Next. Yeah. So in 2011, essentially, the U.S. just offered to pay subsidies to Brazil, too, which is like not really addressing the root of the problem. It's just like throwing more money at it Mm. to get people to shut up. Then there was also another challenge by four African countries known as the Cotton Four or C4, uh, Mali, Chad, Benin, and Burkina Faso. And they asked the U.S. to commit to getting rid of export subsidies by the end of 2010. To put their request into perspective, at the time, the U.S. was spending about $3.5 billion a year subsidizing its 25,000 cotton growers which the LA Times estimated to be four times the entire value of the cotton production by more than 10 million farmers in Africa. So essentially, the subsidies were rendering the labor of 10 million people completely worthless. Wow. Um, So, yeah. Uh, And the C4 relies on cotton for 70% of its yearly revenue from exports. So clearly those subsidies were just like devastating to their economy. Uh, In response to the situation, the chair of the Agricultural Negotiating Committee put together a guide on subsidy cuts, which would call for an 80% cut in trade distorting cotton payments. No surprise, Washington said that this was unacceptable and that they shouldn't single out cotton. However, The 2014 Farm Bill did take some steps to address the issue, but it didn't make too much of a difference because the 2018 Farm Bill essentially went back to the old ways. The next Farm Bill will be up for review in 2023, which gives us a cool opportunity to start talking about it now and raising awareness for things that we might want in it. Yeah, Um, I feel like the 2018 Farm Bill comes up also a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things yeah. that's really well it's really widespread and I guess doesn't it set a lot of different subsidies yeah it's it it goes into so so much stuff so like yeah so like the biggest beneficiaries of the agricultural subsidies from the farm bill are really big companies like Monsanto with crops like corn and soybeans mm. so again corn subsidies you you said it it's coming up again um <laughs> following me 
<laughs> like corn corn subsidies will probably be a long-term topic here. But again, like I honestly think that this that could be a whole other episode just because it's so big and the farm bill does touch so many different agricultural sectors, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um which if like in the meantime anyone is really interested in this, there are a couple episodes from How to Save a Planet that are really amazing breakdowns of these things. Mm. Um, And it talks about like how we could change the subsidies or, you know, demand having different subsidies to um, and, you know, instead of putting a ton of money towards corn and soybeans and stuff like that, you know, money could go to more nutritious and diverse foods that are maybe more, you know, sustainable and eco-friendly to grow and would be better carbon sinks and all that jazz. And again, would potentially make access to nutritious food better for communities all across America. Mm. So basically, after digging into cotton a little bit, it's clear that this bill could have, you know, a huge impact on farmers all over the globe and potentially, you know, give them a better shot at being able to support themselves and their families with their crops. But also domestically digging into cotton subsidies and all the other subsidies in the farm bill is like <laughs> is really important and can have, you know, not only huge a huge impact on I guess like public health in America, but it could also have like really cool um global implications for farmers. And I, I think that that's really cool because previously the farm bill is something that kind of I wouldn't have had like a sticking point in my brain. Yeah. Just because like I'm not a farmer. I don't really know about that that much. Um, But and it is so overwhelming and has like that bill has its fingers in so many different things. Yeah. That it is kind of overwhelming. But once you start looking at the smaller bits of it and like what each, you know, subsidy or like, you know, industry that is being subsidized once you start looking at that like you know it just is such an interesting bill that I think literally it affects all of us so if this is the first time you've like you know really paid attention or started like learning about the farm bill like there's so much more um and like I encourage everyone to you know follow it um since we have two years until the current farm bill is up so until 2023 so it gives us a good time to like talk about it and learn about it mm-hmm. and kind of like pinpoint those things that could be super beneficial for the environment, for people, for health, for the economy. And actually uh, th- in the How to Save a Planet episode about beef that talks about the farm bill, they linked a tracker that will update you on any updates, I guess, on on the farm bill. So I'll link that as well. Oh, cool. Just because I think that that's like, again, like it's such a big bill. So many different uh, crops and agricultural things are, you know, talked about and will be affected by the farm bill. So I'm assuming there's going to be lots of different little updates that you might miss otherwise. So I'll link that. That's cool. I didn't, I listened to that episode, but I didn't even, I don't even remember the tracker. So I'm glad to be reminded of it. Gotcha. And yeah. Also, it feels like this is a good opportunity, yeah, to to read up on it, research and make some demands too and organize mm-hmm. for some demands because climate policy is one of those things that it can feel like something comes completely out of nowhere, especially if you're not 
tuned into all policy decisions, mm-hmm. which who has time for that? Who isn't like a professional? Yeah. So this is a cool opportunity to be like, oh, okay, what differences would this make and how can this mm-hmm. um, accelerate climate action in some way? Yeah. And like, I do think specifically, like, it's a really good example of potentially being able to find something that you are passionate about or you're connected to mm-hmm. in the climate space that like you might not realize. Like, you know, I'm someone like I love fashion stuff and I don't I wouldn't have necessarily thought that the farm bill would have to do with the fashion industry, mm-hmm. but it does through cotton. So like, you know, if there's a little piece of something that you can connect to and like make sense for you to talk about in your in your life, you know, there's there's unexpected ways that it can come up. So I just I just thought that was really cool. Like obviously cotton is a crop, but I don't necessarily connect it to food or funding for food and yeah, like nutrition like access to nutritious food. So yeah. So yeah, it's just very, very, very cool. And yeah, so I guess like my takeaway here is that like obviously cotton has like a very dark and complicated negative past but as a fiber and as a crop it doesn't necessarily need to be bad but like one of the biggest things that we can do and like take action on right now is like addressing the farm bill and like looking at those subsidies Mm -hmm. and then I guess just outside of that you know there are things that you can do or ways you can think about cotton in an eco-friendly kind of way so like as I said like I like cotton clothes. I think they're nice. And like, depending on the situation, they can be relatively, you know, eco-friendly, earth-friendly. But like something that Amanda says on Clothes Horse all the time is that there's like no magical fabric that will let us consume as much as we want. Mm -hmm. So obviously being thoughtful about your purchase of of cotton, shopping for it secondhand, which also I feel like cotton products are generally like pretty solid to shop for vintage. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you think of like denim, and all of that, like, they have long lifespans. So, like, it's a great opportunity to shop secondhand. Mm-hmm. Taking care of your clothes is super important, especially since um, doing laundry is one of the biggest things that adds to a garment's carbon footprint, which I don't know if you're going to talk yes, about Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. And then um, if you have the opportunity to buy organic cotton, that is generally maybe better. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to save... Uh, organic farming for another day because yeah. because that is a whole other conversation which that could either be a down the rabbit hole for another time or probably honestly a full other episode because it's really interesting but yeah I'm not going to get into that now but yeah organic cotton maybe good question mark <laughs> it's like yeah yeah why well, I'm not even going to try and get into it because I what I know about it from maybe organic cotton advertising is that it uses mm-hmm. less water but then yeah this the standards for getting organic certification slash like the pesticides. Yeah. I know there's Mm -hmm. a lot that goes into it. Yeah. It's complicated. So yeah, that's, that's another thing for another episode, but I'm honestly excited to talk about it Mm -hmm. because, um, and it's also something that like applies to cotton, but it also pretty much applies to all crops. Any organic. Yeah. I can understand. So, so yeah, we'll have a, a a crop episode, (laughs) you know, crop top in general. Crops. I don't know. I don't know um, why I'm really like trying to think of titles for not even this episode for other episodes. <laughs> different episode that we might do. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, that's kind of my two cents on cotton. I think it's it's really cool and interesting and something that we can look into to make the global economy better. Mm-hmm. Um. 
not just the American economy. Yes. Also, fuck the economy. <laughs> yeah. That's my mood. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. I I love all of that. And I also am so thankful for you for looking into the cotton commercials because I just think that's so mm-hmm. interesting. Ugh, that whole idea. Yeah, which like I definitely thought there was going to be something dark. Me too. And there's like a lot of money involved there. So like if you follow the trails of that money, I'm sure you could dig something up. But like... Yeah, I think at the heart of the cotton commercials, there's not anything super crazy. It's just like trying to get people to be aware of it. Yeah. Um, And also, yeah, if you chase the money of pretty much anything, you can. You're going to pick up something not too great. So, yeah. Should I dive into my story then? Yeah. Okay. I think I'm excited. I'm glad you went first, too, because I had no idea how we would feel about cotton at the end of your story. I kind of thought we would Mm -hmm. hate it. And so I'm glad that we don't because that at least gives us Mm -hmm. some. Well, it gives us I think this this story is not a person beginning, middle end kind of story. I'm just going to kind of throw a bunch of stuff at us that you need to like consider. And then Mm -hmm. we're opening the door up for other stories, I hope. Okay. So I'm going to focus on microfibers and polyester sort of. So my sources are The Story of Stuff, The New York Times, Tree Hugger, Earth Friendly Tips, and Grist. And so before I get into microfibers, originally for this episode, I wanted to talk about hemp and its historical Mm -hmm. framing as undesirable compared to synthetic materials. And so that's interesting. You're talking about the decline of cotton because I hadn't really thought about Mm -hmm. that, like with that connection to synthetic materials. Um, But the thing with hemp is also the cultural connection that it has to marijuana. So Mm -hmm. there's a part in episode two of the first season of Trace Material, which full disclosure, I am a research assistant on the second season of Trace Material, um, which is a podcast from Parsons Healthy Materials Lab at the New School. Super cool. And I did not work on a on season one at all. So I when I talk about my enthusiasm for this, it is genuine and pretty much neutral. So mm-hmm. in the second episode of that season, they talked to a drug historian. Her name is Emily Dufton. And she explains how the Bureau of Prohibition commissioner, his name was Harry Anslinger, he went straight from basically as soon as prohibition ended, he went straight to the newly created Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And while he was there, he passed a bunch of anti-drug legislation and became a big influence in the criminalization of marijuana, which then impacted hemp. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that story is so interesting. I should dive into that whole thing, which maybe I should have. I don't know. But I realized that I wasn't really adding anything to (laughs) what's already in the Uh trace material season. So I'm going to tell you just to go and listen to that. The whole thing is available. There's like six primary episodes and then actually, no, there's more. And then there are also like all of these interviews with architects that are using hempcrete, which is a um, a replacement for concrete and like using hemp insulation mm-hmm. and all, obviously hemp in like CBD products, all different kinds of products it can be used. And then also the cultural history of hemp as a like labor intensive crop in the times of slavery too. All mm-hmm. of that is so interesting and like the ties to marijuana that I really encourage you to go back and listen to that. But I figured that they did it justice, so I don't have to. Um, mm-hmm. And then a slight plug for, I think this will be well next week for you listening to this now. On June 16th, the second season of Trace Material starts coming out, which is all about the social history of plastic. 
And I just think, yeah, the social history of plastic is so fascinating, especially like the connections to World War II and the Industrial Revolution, which on this podcast we talk mm-hmm. about all the time are just like, <laughs> that's where everything happened. Mm-hmm. So like kind of tracing how plastic has become completely integrated into our culture and then also its beginnings is so fascinating. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for us to talk about that more this summer and for people to listen to the second season of Trace Material. But for this episode, I wanted to focus on synthetic materials, including polyester and more specifically on microfibers. So synthetics make up 60% of all clothing worldwide today, which is kind of bananas. Just if you think about Mm -hmm. more clothing is made with plastic and synthetics than is made with natural materials now. And if you think about the pandemic and the rise of athleisure, both during and before the pandemic, I don't see that number Mm -hmm. going down anytime soon. So polyester products, like, yes, if you think of a polyester suit, that's very 70s. But really, polyester is everywhere, both new and recycled Mm -hmm. polyester. Um, All of those products, for example, that you see made from recycled water bottles, that's polyester, it's plastic. Um, Microfiber towels are made from a combination of polyester and nylon. And Treehugger gives a really good breakdown of microfibers. They said microfiber pieces are smaller than a grain of rice, uh, measuring less than five millimeters in length, which means they cannot be filtered out by washing machines and even wastewater treatment plants. They get flushed out into waterways and oceans where they act like little sponges, attracting and absorbing other toxic chemicals around them, like motor oil and pesticides. Eventually, they climb their way up the food chain until they reach human bellies at mealtime, which I hate the word bellies, but that's kind of not, not <laughs> that that's my takeaway from this. When I read it, I was like, Ugh, I hate that word. But there's a lot of <laughs> not the uh, plastic ends up there it's just like not the <laughs> massive microplastic problem I was like Ugh, that word and <laughs> mealtime I was like Ugh, I could change that anyways um it's horrific and so yeah when we're talking about like so microfiber towels are a whole separate product but they're made from really thinly like a sewn polyester and nylon But when you're talking about microfiber shedding, that happens especially Mm -hmm. when you're washing things, um, like just the friction from washing things and also like using the water. But it also happens if you're just walking down the street wearing polyester nylon leggings, spandex leggings. Um, It's something that happens all the time. But in terms of getting into the water systems, uh, washing machines is where that happens a lot of the time. And Full disclosure, as we speak, I am wearing one of my several pairs of Girlfriend Collective leggings. I'm also wearing a sports bra from them and a hand-me-down fleece. It's not even a Mm hand-me-down. My dad just gave it to me because I came. It was like 85 degrees when I packed my bag to come back to Massachusetts. And then it's been pouring rain the entire time I've been here and freezing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I'm wearing his fleece. And so like and there's definitely some synthetic materials in that are giving a stretch to my socks and my underwear. All that to say, yeah. And I've I honestly spent years trying to reduce the amount of plastic that's in my clothing, not exclusively, but like especially buying new plastics. It's been something that has been on my mind mm-hmm. for at least five years, maybe a little bit more. So I just want to say that full disclosure because one of the solutions that I see to the microfiber pl- problem is just to like never wear synthetic materials ever again. 
And I think that really underestimates how difficult that is, especially if you thrift mm-hmm. stuff. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I like for sure like the idea of natural fibers, but like the majority of my clothes, like even if they're new, I buy secondhand mm-hmm. or like if I need something like chances are I got it off Depop or something like I don't buy brand new clothes that often. So like I don't care as much when I do that just because I'd rather wear the polyester thing than have that polyester thing just get thrown out Mm -hmm. and like end up in the garbage and then like what good does that do anybody so yeah it's it's a tricky one yeah it's a tricky problem but yeah what do we do with all the polyester and synthetic fiber clothes that are already out and there's so many of them that already exist and yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's like it's also sort of a holier than thou thing, too. If you just like completely remove yourself from the problem, that's still a problem. That's not really fixing like the systemic issues of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely like an impulse, I guess, that you have. And I don't even know if there is a way to make like leggings or stuff out of non-synthetic fibers. Like you could do sweatpants, probably like you do like cotton sweatpants, but you're not going to get the like stretchy bits. Yeah. In terms of stretch, the easiest and most cost effective ways to get that is all like synthetic materials. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think I have um, I'm just name dropping everyone. <laughs> and I think they've been accused <laughs> of greenwashing is the brand Parade. I have a bunch of their yes. underwear. I really like it. I don't really know what the issues are with it. Maybe we'll look into it another time. Yeah, um, I've looked into that that one a little bit, which like, honestly, I I have some as well. And I feel like the elastic got like bent in a weird way on mine. Yeah. So or like some of it is like shedding a little bit. So I'm not like 100% behind the quality of them. But yeah. Yeah. I, but I'm trying to remember what they're made. Wait, can I look that up real fast? I feel like it's I think I think it's recycled polyester and like the thing is that it's recycled yeah so i'm looking at parade to just see what it's made of also they're they're, like constantly putting out new colors and collaborations and all sorts of stuff so like there's always like new 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 i feel like with them Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily a good indicator of a brand that's like actually sustainable yeah you're right so it's just sustainable like recycled materials i don't know why i thought they had something to do with eucalyptus anyways sorry you might that might be the bu- the buffy comforter yes and i have um which i sheets I and love, giggles honestly i have the sheets and giggles okay. sheets that are they're made with eucalyptus okay but i think there's there's definitely a little bit of spandex mixed into there too um mm-hmm. at least for the stretch sides and stuff like that which is like another thing that's interesting you know if you have something that's like 84 percent um a sustainable material but then it's mixed in with something else what does that do to the life cycle of a product yeah there's a lot of questions around that there so not to shame any well we totally are down for shaming specific companies but nothing to shame the specific companies that we've mentioned in the like last little bit yeah um because it's it's a tricky game and like we're very much in a mess where synthetic materials are everywhere And what do we do? Like sending those to the landfill is not necessarily the right answer either. Mm -hmm. So there was a statistic in the New York Times. They said that scientists estimate that textiles produce 35% of the microplastic pollution in the world's oceans in the form of synthetic microfibers, which would make textiles the largest known source of marine microplastic pollution. That's about 2.2 million tons of microfibers entering the ocean every year. And... (laughs) Um, there's an estimated 1.4 million trillion microfibers in the world, according to the story of stuff, which is a number so big I did not even consider that it existed. 
1.4 million yeah. trillion. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, though, there are a couple things that I feel like make me like extremely, extremely anxious about like climate things. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of things are like eventually or whatever. But like the fact that there's that much plastic and we're like drinking it. Yeah. Is something that really freaks me out. Mm-hmm. And like. <laughs> and chemicals. I, yeah. It's hard to wrap your head around it. Like that's the reality right now. It's not, you know, something that's coming that we could maybe fix. It's like here and we're we're literally eating it. Yeah. And the, yeah, like even if you stop today that it would still be there for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, How do you clean up a million trillion microfibers like less smaller than a grain of rice? Essentially invisible. Like how do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, don't worry. I'm going to have a perfect <laughs> one-step solution for you in 15 minutes. Perfect. Just kidding. Um <laughs> I'm just going to read some more horrifying statistics. Okay. <laughs> just That's all I have. Know. Ruin my day. Go for I it. I got to do it. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. So according to Grist, a single synthetic article of clothing can shed around 1900 fibers every wash. And so I don't know if this is relevant, but as I've touched on in past episodes, I got into the environmental movement through the zero waste movement. Um, especially in like 2016, 2017, um, when I was getting involved and still now it was very anti-plastic and it mm-hmm. still is because like plastic sucks. But there was like I would follow blogs sometimes that were, you know, would not even basically allow a plastic container to pass into their home. Mm-hmm. And I definitely have some issues with that, even even if in theory that's like my dream home, right? Or our dream home would be something that doesn't include these materials that are like destroying the planet. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But just the the zero waste kind of mindset of coming into this is like very individualist. The the zero waste movement has grown a lot and we will do an episode at some point on like the trajectory of the zero waste movement because I find it so Mm -hmm. fascinating. But it can be largely focused on individual action. And that's what was sort of frustrating when I was going through these, like looking for information on microfibers is that I was going to sources like Grist and the New York Times that I go to often for good climate advice. And this was really good climate advice, but it's all focused on like individual things that you can do or kind of like vague systemic changes that you can make. Mm -hmm. But it's it's such a large problem that like even those sources aren't going to have like an easy solution for it because it goes into like so many other things. Uh-huh. And another thing with having a lot of recycled um, polyester, like a lot of recycled materials being portrayed as like the perfect environmentally friendly solution is that there's a big concern that if people believe too much in recycling, they won't be as motivated to stop using mm. single use plastic, which is one thing that I think the zero waste movement has gotten really right is just like that recycling while you should recycle any plastic that you do consume as much as you're able to recycling is not going to save us in the slightest Mm -hmm. and that there are a lot of problems with like creating a system where recycling is equitable i've seen there was a great greenpeace uk video recently where they covered boris johnson Mm -hmm. a a boris johnson doll with like Mm -hmm tons and tons of plastic and it was like I forget the exact statistic but it was like this is how much plastic this part of the UK has created in the last day and 90% of it goes is exported out of the UK and recycled or attempted to be recycled somewhere else Mm -hmm. so it's a problem that's like 
again, that's a whole nother conversation, but that's like offset largely on like poorer countries. And then like they, they're criticized for all their plastic when actually a lot of it is coming from like high consuming countries, yeah. imperialist countries. So yeah, this is not an, an, an enlightening or this is not an uplifting story, yeah. but I think it's, I do think it's really interesting. So the reason I like mention all of this is because up until now, I've only really heard individual solutions like refusing to buy synthetic clothing altogether or mm -hmm. like sometimes using different solutions in the wash. So I wanted to go through a couple of those solutions, which aren't inherently bad. Actually, I think they're things that you could recommend doing, but it's just like you can't kick yourself that it's going to solve the whole problem. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Girlfriend Collective, which I don't think I explained this before, is a really awesome company in my opinion i think out of california they sell like leggings bras t-shirts all different kinds of things and they're best known for their leggings which are all made with our pet which is mm -hmm. recycled polyethylene terra phthalate which is used in single-use water bottles and food containers mm -hmm. and there's also a little bit of spandex mixed in there i really like girlfriend collective because they tackle the supply chain in kind of a holistic way. And so there's a lot of information, which I've gone back and read several times about their supply systems, their why they manufacture in Vietnam, how they pay their workers, who their workers are. And obviously, mm -hmm. like getting some of that information or getting all that information from the company, you also have to like take it with a grain of salt. But I think they they make a large effort to be really transparent and also to provide equity throughout the entire system. They're really size inclusive. They have a recycling program called Regirlfriend so that once you do use, you know, leggings or whatever clothing to its lifespan, then you can return it. And uh, like having that kind of closed loop system, which I think is a great part of like having a solid systemic solution. Mm -hmm. But they were getting criticized for you know, selling a plastic product, a synthetic product. Mm -hmm. And so they came out with a $45 washing machine attachment, which they aim for it to be affordable and accessible, but it's kind of difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be cleaned every three loads or so. Okay. And it also requires you to have your own washing machine. Mm -hmm. It requires you to install it. There are other parts that you need to buy. And sometimes it's difficult to find out exactly what your washing machine will need. And you have to clean it very regularly. They also recommend that you only wash synthetic fabrics together and then that you wash organic fabrics without the filter since they also shed microfibers. Um, but since those microfibers are biodegradable, it's not as big of a deal. Which I think is actually super fascinating because I didn't think about how like if you had a 100% cotton t-shirt, it mm -hmm. would also produce microfibers. It's just those microfibers aren't going to, yeah, like choke the fish of the ocean, you know? Yeah. Which kind of makes you question like why we use fossil fuel based products in the first place that are like yeah. so widespread. That's the big question. Cheap and easy. Yep. And that's the answer. And then also the New York Times pointed out that there's not a lot of competition for microfiber filters, um, especially in the U.S. And also to make things more complicated, there's not a standardized peer-reviewed metric or a certification for comparing the claims of the filters. Mm 
mm-hmm. um, like there would be for, they say, water filters. There are also some in-machine solutions that you can use. So like these are good solutions for anyone, but especially if you don't own your washing machine or like if you share it with your building or you go to a laundromat. So there are Guppy Friends uh, washing mm-hmm. bags. I think Guppy Friend is a brand, but I've heard that term just kind of used like more generically. And so those bags trap microfibers and the bag itself is made of polyamide, which is a durable plastic, Um, but it allows you to wash synthetic clothing in the same load as non-synthetics. And it's like a couple, it's a pretty big bag, the ones that I've seen, Mm -hmm. and those trap 75 to 86% of microfibers, which is pretty good. And seeing like the larger lifespan of those, I don't have one, so do you have one? No, it's something that I've thought about buying several times but I haven't Me gotten too. around to it yet yeah and it the price varies too but they're generally like 30 to 40 dollars so it's definitely a purchase it's one I've thought about too mm-hmm. but it's interesting because it's like microfibers are such a massive terrifying problem but they're also not a problem that you can see yeah or it's a problem that you know exists is so widespread that like for me the motivation to spend 35 dollars on something like that is is much less than it was for me to buy cotton dryer balls, for example. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um. And so there's also laundry balls, speaking of, but they're not the same as cotton dryer balls. They're like kind of like weaved balls. There's mm-hmm. one that's called the Cora Ball as a brand. Those only trap 26% of microfibers, but it's still a significant difference. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it still makes a huge difference even to just have a quarter of the microfibers taken out. And then also you don't have to separate any of your clothing. You can just throw that in, do your laundry exactly how you would and yeah, save um, or trap 26% of microfibers. Can I ask a question about about yeah. the all the different like microballs and whatever the fuck? Yes. Uh, yes. So you use these bags or these filters or whatever to trap these microfibers. Is mm-hmm. there a best practices way to dispose of them? Is it like a lint? Is it like a lint dryer lint that you can like ball up and then like do you throw it out? If it goes to the landfill, is it just going to wash out into the earth anyway? So does it even matter if you do that? Or is, or is there a certain way that you should get rid of that? That's a great question. Because that's so, what I've always thought with a guppy bag. I'm like, what am I going to do with the microfiber? I'm just going to throw it out and then it's just going to mm-hmm. be in the garbage anyway and in the world. And probably flow through wherever. I think so. Y- you're completely correct. But the thing is that, I mean, things going to the landfill is not ideal. And that's basically what you have to do. So the guppy bag, it will collect in the bottom and you have to wait a couple of washes before you can really see anything because they're okay, so small. Gotcha. But once they accumulate, they accumulate sort of in like the seams of the bag. And then you okay. basically just pick those out. And you could, I guess, like, collect them i don't know if you were really artsy if you could like collect them for long enough that like you could make them into something cool but i think gotcha that would take a long time slash eventually the life cycle of whatever you made would also have to be thrown out yeah um so question mark on whether that does anything but that's what they say is i'm not sure exactly what the core ball it's sort of like a bunch of i don't know how to describe it it's like a bunch of coils put together almost Mm -hmm. so I don't know exactly how you would like pick stuff out of there but I think it's like dryer lint where eventually it would accumulate enough that you could pick it out gotcha but they say you know some people will put it into a water bottle Uh and then I think they I guess you could recycle that but the idea is that like it's still better than it getting into the water system directly 
So yeah, and coming from your washing machine. And that's the other thing with the, yeah, with the like the washing machine attachment or even like the initiatives to have washing machines have a better filter or Mm -hmm. a more specific filter. The thing with a more specific filter is that it's going to get clogged more easily with like even non-synthetic materials, but it's still something that like is important. That still is going to be end up being thrown out. So it's kind of like, yeah, who responsible within the supply chain or is it the consumer that should be responsible for like dealing with the pollution that's happening from a product? Yeah. You know what I think. I always think the consumer. Just kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. I mean, I I would say for sure the like people making products and the people making washing machines and the people making clothes and stuff. But that's a hard one. Yeah. It's a toughie. And so on the subject of like if you wanted to just completely shut out this conversation and stop buying synthetic materials altogether, mm-hmm. um, including thrifted and recycled synthetics, this can be tricky for a bunch of reasons, including something that was pointed out also in the New York Times by environmental chemist Sam Athey. She explained that even textiles that are labeled 100% natural can contain up to 30% chemical additive by weight, mm-hmm. often applied for stain resistance, water repellency, fire retardancy, Um, other like antimicrobial properties unless a garment says it is completely untreated because of issues with transparency in the textile industry you don't always know what chemicals your clothing contains yeah that that was one of the things with cotton that I kind of skimmed over but like Mm -hmm. you think cotton is a natural fiber so it's going to be biodegradable but if it has those treatments or has chemicals or has like different things done to it, like it might not be biodegradable. So unless like mm-hmm. it's very clear, yeah, buying a cotton thing isn't necessarily going to guarantee that it is biodegradable at all. Right. And that's also frustrating, too, because it's like that's not something that you would figure out on the label or even on the company's website in theory yeah. if you were buying something new. So it's like, how do you ever know 100 percent? exactly where the material came from or if you're in a store like you're gonna have what are you gonna like sit and do like two hours of research to find out like the exact supply chain and like exactly how the fabric was treated in the store and then be like i am gonna buy this Mm -hmm. (laughs) people just coming up like can i help you ma'am like are you okay (laughs) uh (laughs) yeah no that's so hard to figure out and (laughs) i mean I was trying to have an uplifting end to this story and maybe I'll get mm-hmm. there. But um, I do want to mention again in the New York Times, they mentioned a couple of legislative wins for this, at least in terms of getting filters on washing machines, which again is not like a win for the entirety, but mm-hmm. it's still a good place to start. Mm-hmm. So the California's legislature um, is considering a bill that would identify and eventually require effective microfiber filtration in laundry facilities And then in February of 2020, France became the first country to require that by 2025, new washing machines will be able to filter microplastics. And in March 2020, Australia announced in its national plastics plan a phase in of such filters in commercial and residential washers by July of 2030. So the washing machine industry, at least like in terms of the law, seems to be getting into it, which is great. It's Mm -hmm. super important. And I think Like, this is one of those things that even though individual action is not the sole goal, your individual action can really make a huge difference. So if it's something that you, like, financially can do to have either, like, a washer attachment or to have one of these in-washer solutions, 
that can make a difference. And I don't want to discourage you ever from doing that. Mm -hmm. But it sort of like just brings up a lot of other issues. So going into those individual solutions, I just want to list some of them out. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I really like is choosing Swedish towels, which are like really hyper dry towels. You can put them in the wash, not in the washing machine. You can put them in the dishwasher or the washing Mm -hmm. machine, actually. And just using non-synthetic cleaning options instead of microfiber cloths and single use products like paper towels is another benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also use old T-shirts and cotton rags instead of buying new microfiber. And I wrote, though we might feel differently about cotton after this, question mark. But I feel Mm. like that's pretty safe to say, you know, using cotton rags. Yeah. I mean, especially if you can research the company and do a little bit, especially for like a purchase that is going to be in your home and isn't probably like an investment. I feel like whenever I buy like towels or anything like that, like that's an investment and Mm -hmm. I'll put more thought into that. Yeah. I think buying cotton is probably the best, like a better option if you can do research yeah. on it or yeah just cutting up an old t-shirt too or that also yeah. works <laughs> um but when i was looking up microfiber cloths specifically that was where i was finding all of those is this sponsored by microfiber and no one's telling mm-hmm. me situation because yeah. it was just did, did a it was like fiber write this like- yeah literally <laughs> um but just the comparisons between cotton and microfiber microfiber is super absorbent and so like mm-hmm. it can be really nice and it there's a reason why people use it, but yeah. um, also thinking about like the greater. And so is cotton. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the whole thing because I, I did also do a, like a little dive into like, the like cotton kills and like the, the reason why they say that for like going out in the wild is because it can absorb like 2,700% of its weight in water. Mm. So like cotton, very absorbent. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know how that compares to microfiber, but cotton is notoriously absorbent yeah i think swedish dish towels also are made of 100 percent cotton and it's just mm. really condensed because mm. i have dropped our brita filter or our brita pitcher more than once <laughs> it's not my favorite thing uh-huh. i had to buy a new one because i broke the handle oh, and then no. i dropped that one. Oh no and the handle survived so it was okay Good. but um i did drop all of the water all mm-hmm. all over the floor and stuck the swedish dish towel on it and like yeah some cotton rags and they do the job yeah that's um, awesome so that's a thing. Um, another individual solution. Well, there's a couple that just have to go in with laundry. One of them is just doing fewer loads of laundry. You mentioned that. Also doing a full load with less water, which means avoiding the delicate setting since that uses more water. Um, opting for front loading machines when you can. And also sort of separate, but line drying your clothes. You just like mm. don't need to. I mean, the electricity use of of using mm-hmm. a dryer use it when you need to especially if you don't have the space to line dry your clothes like i don't in the city but using that as minimally as possible mm-hmm. um because that also can affect the wear of your clothes so like the yeah. lifespan of them that's how it connects that's back huge. to microfibers yeah um and then yeah you can wear fewer synthetic materials too because like i said all materials pretty much create some form of microfiber but if the actual material itself is natural and okay it's going to cause a lot less damage than like a a synthetic material would but in terms of systemic solutions these are this is what we're manifesting because there isn't that much information about it although i know there are companies that are working on this the big one is closed loop plastic solutions so companies like what regirlfriend is doing 
it's called Regirlfriend mm-hmm. from Girlfriend Collective. I don't know. For Days is another company that like not with synthetic products, but they have all cotton products. Like all of my masks are from them. And mm-hmm. whenever I'm done with my masks, I can send them back to the company. That goes for all other products. Awesome. And there are more and more companies like that that are popping up, which is great. Mm-hmm. And just like making clothing manufacturers responsible for the full life cycle of their product, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing is improving wastewater facility filtering systems. So although this can't solve all of our problems because current wastewater remains are used, they're reused as like fertilizer for crops. So sometimes literally just all of that stuff that you didn't want going into the wastewater in the ocean will then be like put on our crops. What? (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was like, I don't get it. I mean, reuse, but... Why that? Yeah. Especially if we're like taking out all the stuff that, you know, can't go in the ocean. So obviously that practice would need to be altered as well. But having better and, you know, a thing that's really tricky about filtering systems is that if you make them so small that they can catch plastic microfibers, they're going to catch pretty much everything else in the Mm -hmm. process, which plugs up a bunch of those systems as well. Mm-hmm. but hey i'm not here for solutions i'm just here to manifest shit right now so yeah that's what we're manifesting <laughs> is improved wastewater facility um filtering systems kind awesome. of a mouthful and that's that's pretty much all i've got i think uh, hopefully there's some like interesting things in there and i also just kind of want to i don't know go back to that individual action systemic change thing there's also like an in between those two things so that like you can be doing your best and be aware of these as an individual consumer and mm-hmm. trying not to like support things that don't support your own values or your own vision for like a better world. But also you can't take all of that responsibility in on yourself because otherwise you will um, never wear anything or eat anything or do anything. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, can I... Can I tell a laundry related story that I've been I thinking love it. about a lot lately? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a kid, we did, I think in like Girl Scouts and maybe like some other things like for school, we would do this craft where we brought in our dryer lint and put it and like, let me know if you've ever done this, uh, but we put it in little bags of tool and like hung them up on tree branches around our yard. Mm-hmm. Um, for birds to use for their nests. Yes. Did you do that? I don't. I can't remember doing it myself, but I, I've I've seen that as a or like creating a little packet of things that birds can use for sure. Yeah. So like I, that's like such a fond memory, and like the idea of like in the spring, like the birds you would like, like when I saw like a bird like checking it out, like it was always so exciting. But then I was thinking recently, probably like, like as I was like cleaning out my dryer lint, I was like, a lot of this is probably microplastics. Like, mm-hmm. and like, this is probably half plastic if it's from your clothes, synthetic yeah. clothes. And so I was just like, we were giving birds just like plastic to put in their nest, which like then probably went into the environment and was really bad. But I, yeah, I mean, and obviously it's a very small scale issue i don't think like there's gonna be articles like five-year-old <laughs> local from, <laughs> from 2000 put small bags of plastic 
fluff in her trees wreaking havoc across, you know, (laughs) the environment of New Jersey. Like, you know, it's not going to be a thing. But I just like was like, shit, we were giving the birds plastic. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that's like something that anyone would have thought of back then. So... I mean, even just like the awareness that we have now of like, maybe we shouldn't give this to the birds Mm -hmm. um, is good. But like, that's just been in my brain. Like every single time I clear out my lint lately, I've just been like, I gave this to the birds and they like put it in the wild. So that's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Yeah. Yeah. That's I love like yeah, thinking back on some of the science experiments that we did. I mean, even mm-hmm. the uh, the big one for us was um dropping the egg. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's just a whole interesting level of things. I still have the pillow that I used that successfully we dropped an egg on top of it and I drew nice. I made this whole like cardboard thing out of it. And to a certain extent, it's like, I'm sure if you have kids, a lot of the projects that they have to do involve making something for a short period of time or, you yeah. know, using essentially trash. And I don't think that's if it, if it already exists, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But I do think about that, too, especially when I was like doing youth development. And I was always trying to come up with youth activities. I was always trying to think of activities that didn't involve well, yeah, accidentally killing wildlife is kind of a priority (laughs) or like making them buy a bunch of stuff, certainly. Or just Mm -hmm. like I used to love to make slime, Mm. but it's so hard to find slime recipes that don't have, is it bleach? I don't know, that don't have like Uh, sort of questionable materials in them. Gotcha. But that actually work for young kids. Anyways. Mm. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, that's just random, but with the microfibers and yeah. lint and all of that, like I was just like, yeah, I cannot stop thinking about the fact that I gave small plastic fibers to birds and thought that I was helping. <laughs> you were trying. It's okay. I was doing my best. Um, you know, always room for growth. So yeah, I don't have any laundry-related funny stories. <laughs> I was just thinking about I used to do my laundry in a bucket in Morocco, like mm-hmm. to hand wash my clothes. And it really made me appreciate like I've always been someone that I didn't want to wash my clothes too much. I wear my clothes a lot before I wash them. But obviously, like smell is a factor. Yeah. And especially in hot environments, smell is a Mm -hmm. factor. But like that kind of made I hadn't really before I washed full loads of laundry by hand. I hadn't really thought about what happens in there. I don't know. That sounds weird. But like, yeah. And also being the one to like dump the water out at the end and you see well all the dirt and then sometimes yeah. like dye that comes off of like jeans or whatever yeah it is like maybe it's an example of like being really disconnected from a process that you use mm-hmm. all the time yeah no 100 percent. i feel that because like right at the end of or like the end of living in new york like i was hand washing a lot of stuff in my shower because mm-hmm. i was like i don't want to take this to a laundromat and yeah I was just like stressed about it. So I'd like hand wash everything and like, again, did not have good like air drying facilities. So it's mm-hmm. like clothes are everywhere. Um, but like, yeah, it's a lot of work and I do it a lot for like vintage stuff or like more delicate things that I don't want to put through the washer or like um, I, I dry clean stuff in the dryer. Sometimes I have like little uh, things, 
But wow. yeah, it's a lot of work. And yeah, you don't realize like, yeah, what comes out of the clothes and like all sorts of stuff. So it is honestly, hand washing is a good experience. I feel like mm-hmm. definitely something to do sometimes. But uh, yeah, washing machines are a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm not about to to give up my my washing machine. I love it. Yeah. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I don't, I'm not obsessed with the laundromat. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, it's a whatever. It's a pro for a reason. But yeah, that's, that's all I have. Should we do the dump? Yeah. Has anything happened in your life? You know, my life has been like really, literally nothing has been going on really, except for the fact that I eloped and got married in Marfa. So (laughs) that, that's been my big development of the week. So congratulations. Thank you. And to you and our new um, podcast husband, Lan. <laughs> podcast husband, Lan, who has he I feel like he really is like podcast husband because he he's like done so much with um, microphones and like I was going to say he so helped you with a microphone. But not just helped me. So I told you a couple weeks ago after we recorded, uh-huh. I was like, you said, oh, Lan knows a lot about microphones. You should text him about I was thinking about buying a new microphone, mm-hmm. which I ended up doing. Hopefully it doesn't sound terrible. And <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that after we record. I forgot. And then you guys were going on your vacation and yeah. I obviously was not going to text him during that time. And so then on like, I don't know, in the middle of your vacation, he texted me like a whole yeah. big paragraph all about microphones. <laughs> He's like, Elise told me you wanted to know about this. And I was like, yeah, yes, I did. But also <laughs> you're on it, vacation. It's fine. That's what that's what we I think we were talking about other podcast stuff at, at dinner. And then like the microphones came up. And I mean, that's one of his favorite topics. So, of yeah, course, he's going to be very excited to like share that knowledge. Um, I love so, that. So, yeah, official so, yeah. podcast boyfriend and then podcast husband. Yes. He he's got the title. <laughs> yep. It's we're making it official this week. So so yeah, that was that was really nice. Yeah. Marfa is beautiful. I've never been to the desert before. So like just seeing the landscape was really, really interesting. And like mm. so much is closed in Marfa right now. Um, or like has very specific hours normally. Um, or like certain restaurants were just like fully shut down until further notice because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um but it was kind of nice to have not that much to do and just to be able to like drive. Yeah. Just like through the desert and through the mountains and stuff. It was just really, really pretty. And yeah, just like something totally new that I hadn't really seen before. So, yeah, we went hiking and just saw all the, the plants and the cactus and stuff. So, yeah, it was a lovely, lovely, lovely time. Yeah, it sounds like a dream. And we watched an eclipse because there was a lunar eclipse. Mm. So we like the day after we got married, we woke up really, really early. Um, and by really, really early, I mean 530, which is very, very early in my book. That's when um, my parents' cat has been waking me up. <laughs> nice. She can hear me every day she's at five listening. at five a.m. She's like, this is this, this is, is time. breakfast time. <laughs> yeah. So so we woke up at like 530 and watched the eclipse at 615, I think is when it was like fully eclipsed. But we watched that right where the Marfa lights are. Which mm. is like, I don't know if you know anything about that, but it's like a like phenomenon where like there are these little lights across this mountain, um, which like I think I saw them. I kind of felt like my eyes were playing tricks on me, but it just like like, like almost like little sparks like going across the top. Hmm. Um, I've never heard of it. But 
like it's basically no one lives behind there, but it kind of could look like uh, like cars or some people think it's like aliens. No one's really sure. Um, but we like we watched that, watched the eclipse and then the sun came up and it was really, really pretty. But yeah, overall, wow, really good time. It was really nice. And yeah, now podcast boyfriends turn into podcast husbands. So it's <laughs> how it goes. Yes. <laughs> um, I love the dress that you wore, sort of like sixties inspired. Yes. I yeah, I was it was a I got it at a vintage store. Oh yeah. So actually maybe sixties. So I got it like the week before at a vintage store. Yeah, no, it's a sixties dress. Um I I mean I'm always one for a vintage dress, uh, if I have the opportunity to opt for that because there's mm-hmm. so many cool options. So yeah, it just it wor- really worked out. It was really comfortable. It was definitely like a desert vibe. Um, and I'm glad I didn't do any. I guess it was a short dress. I'm glad I went with that because it was very hot. Um, yeah. And those are pretty thick, too, aren't they? The, the that style the dress. Material. Yeah, it's like it, it's almost like a, it was almost like a burlapy material. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of thick. It came with a jacket, but I didn't wear the jacket. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. So beautiful. I might wear it another time. Um. Hell yeah. But yeah. So that's that's my my big news for the week. Very exciting. Um, do you have Do you have anything going on? Watching any good shows? Reading any good books? I also have. I also got married. Just kidding. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> that would be really funny <laughs> to me. Um, <laughs> no, but I think I can say it on here. My brother's having a baby. My brother and sister in law. <gasps> ah, that's so exciting! So I'm gonna be. I feel like I've been destined to be someone's eccentric aunt for my whole yes, life. Yes, and I love so that. now it's gonna happen. Amazing. That's so mm-hmm. exciting. So my parents are spending Memorial Day weekend in Chicago with my brother and sister-in-law and they <laughs> my so I'm taking care of their cat um mm-hmm. over the weekend and it's actually been really nice just chilling out by myself and with um Shadow. She's a mm-hmm. little angel and a little devil sometimes too, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. But my mom usually she would text me when she, you know, lands or something like that just so that I know that she got there and so she had it yeah. a couple hours afterwards and so I had stayed in Cambridge after I dropped them off at the airport and so I messaged them like hours later when I got back and they like she didn't respond at all she was just like can I FaceTime you and so I was mm-hmm. like oh god did something horrible happen because that's what I always assume yeah and then and also we don't really FaceTime we usually call unless like gotcha. there's a specific reason to look at someone uh-huh. so I was like always preparing for the worst and then when she got on my brother was there and he shared the news with me because they were waiting to t- tell yeah. my parents in person and then it was just very exciting and also like very nice that nothing horrible happened yeah that's um, always a plus <laughs> but yeah and also this episode will come out next week so I'm excited. I'm going to the Treaty People Gathering from June mm-hmm. 5th to 8th, which I'm really looking forward to in northern Minnesota. And I'm taking the Amtrak out and then I'll eventually take the Amtrak back a couple weeks later. But I'm looking forward to that and like planning logistics for that. I'm turns out I'm going to drive up with some people I've never met before, but that seem really cool and are into like, I don't know, different political sectors and mutual aid in their respective cities and stuff Mm -hmm. and I'm really as much as like it's so important that this is like an indigenous led movement and we're being invited there as most of us like non-native people or I don't know most of us some of us non-native people Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of that that this is not a party this is not like 
this can be like a communal gathering, but it's not like we're here on a mission to have this nonviolent direct action. But at the same time, I'm really excited to meet a lot of people that are going there and then also like the organizers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's like my my pre joy. And then hopefully when this episode comes out, I'll have lots more stories to share with you in the following week. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear how that how that all goes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I hope it goes well. Um, I know in the last episode we were talking about just like general public opinion about like fossil fuel companies and hopefully Mm -hmm. how that will help this. So like it's an exciting time if you hate fossil fuel companies. Yes. Um, So so that's just like good to see. um, Also, an interesting connection, which might not be that interesting to you all, but I just think it is. Um, going back to Trace Material, the first season of Trace Material, episode four, it's called The Green Path. I have it drilled okay. in my head. Um, features Winona LaDuke, who came to speak okay. at the new school. She is the one of the, I believe, co-founders, one of the leads of Honor the Earth. She's been very active in the Stop Line 3 movement and a lot of like indigenous movements. She was a president, vice presidential nominee, very cool person, but she's also mm-hmm. a hemp farmer. And so hmm. she actually, if you listen to that episode, it's really interesting. She talks about like moving away from the fossil fuel economy and then like okay. ties that into textiles and hemp materials. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I find that so inspiring. And so she's going to be there on um, this weekend. And I'm excited. Nice. Like I know Bill McKibben's going to be there too, the founder of 350. All of these like mm-hmm. people that I consider famous now in my head yeah yeah (laughs) i mean they 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 legitimately are but like yeah yeah i mean they're like very i guess like inspirational and like great leaders Mm -hmm. so that's i mean exciting to like share space with people like that yeah that's cool um I've been watching more search parties since we last talked about it but then I'm now I'm caught up to the final the most recent season and okay. I haven't started it yet because it like goes on a whole nother tangent because we yeah, were talking about it a uh-huh. couple weeks ago how like it's one of those shows that you kind of have to take in small doses even though it's really yeah. good yeah and after you said that I was like yeah she's right and I only watched <laughs> like one episode and then the next day I watched like six episodes in a row or something like yeah. that yeah you know sometimes it's just like that but yes. Oh my gosh. Also, um, Olivia Rodrigo's <gasps> yes. album. Okay. So I listened to it and then I have another recommendation based off of Olivia Rodrigo's album. Yes. So I obviously I do you have any thoughts on Olivia Rodrigo's album in I love particular? It. Other than it's just like a very good time. I mean, yeah. Like I feel like it's very like brings you back to high school. Like I feel like all the people mm-hmm. like our age or older are like <laughs> very much like going back in time to yeah uh like listen to that although like I think it's relatable to every person ever so it's so it's so good I saw wait sorry did you have an opinion on it or something? oh just that it's really good yeah I Mostly. agree I, ha- I have another recommendation based off off of it but I want to hear the rest of your thoughts on the album so love it I love um I was a big Taylor Swift fan as a teenager and still am now mm-hmm. but one step forward, three steps back is a, such a beautifully written song. And it's written over the piano from Taylor Swift's song, New Year's Day, mm. which I don't think I would have noticed otherwise, to be honest. I don't, I don't know that. 
but that's really cool. Yeah, I just like saw that on Twitter before it even came out. And then, and it's like also subject wise, it's a completely different song, but the songwriting uh-huh. is so, I mean, everything is so strong on this album. Also, I saw someone sent me a TikTok that Olivia Rodrigo has been doing publicity with Sour Patch Kids, which the Sour Patch okay. thing is they're sour, they're sweet, then they're gone. Uh-huh. And so, like this person was a big is a big Olivia Rodrigo fan and they said that like she has all these unreleased love songs that she's always singing on her social media but that aren't none uh, of the songs on this album are love songs it's sour it's like that's the name mm-hmm. of the album it's all breakup or like not love songs so they think that a second album is coming called sweet, sweet? and then that she's going to go on the sweet and sour tour which ah, I love a I good love theory that. And I, I love, like, especially if she has all that material already made and, like, it's already something that's completed for her. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like so many artists have been doing, like, um, like either, like, double album releases in a year or, like, com- kind of like companion albums. Yeah. Um, Taylor Swift. So, yeah. 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 So, like, I love that if she has, like, naturally uh, made all that. Like, that, uh, I love that theory. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah. And just fun. And then you get a whole range of of feelings. Yeah. Um, and we could talk for days about like artists and brand endorsements and like whatever capitalist cycle and stuff. But mm-hmm. I have to admit that's a pretty damn good one if that is the case or even if it's just sour and that's how it stays. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So another album that came out really recently, I th- actually think it's an EP. But uh, have you ever listened to Greta Isaac? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I love her. And she just put out an out, or an EP called Pessimist. And I feel like it's like it has a lot of similar themes to Olivia Rodrigo's stuff. Like it's a different vibe. But like I feel like similar like wanting to be liked. Like just like I don't know. Experiences like that. I think it's very cool. I feel like I'd put it in a like kind of heartbroken, honest, hot girl summer playlist <gasps> all together. I love um, it. So like that vibe, if you're looking, if you've already listened to Sour on repeat like 80,000 times, uh, Greta Isaac's Pessimist is full with bops uh, and one random other song that doesn't make sense, but I think it's really funny that it's in there. Um, so yeah, love Greta. Put her on your summer playlists. You know. Because she's great. I agree. And I'm glad you said that because I didn't know there was a full album. I like the song F You. Is yes. that is on there? That, yeah. That's the last one on there. Yeah. Is that the one that doesn't fit or is it? No, it, it's it's like an kind of like church choir song. Mm. That's like really random. I love a church um, choir though. That's that's Just on there. But it's like it, I don't it, like I'm assuming that she sings on it, but it sounds like a little boy. Hmm. So it's it's really random. You'll know it when you get there. Yeah. Um, sounds like it. Yeah. But. But yeah, I just think it's really good. And like, I don't know. I feel like there's like uh, an Anna Marie Tendler, like <gasps> sad girl, like <laughs> like somehow like so stunning and just like a total vibe going on. But like, I know she shared Olivia Rodrigo's album. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like John Mulaney's ex-wife. Yes. For anyone who, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't know. Uh, yeah. John Mulaney's ex-wife. Um, but I feel like it's all in that that vein of of music that's like still super fun to listen to but is like kind of sad 
um, and like self-exploratory. Mm, like, yeah, reflective. I'm here for it. Okay, I'm going to listen to that. Also, the person that I'm driving up to the treaty people gathering with, so it's like a four-hour drive from Minneapolis and back, mm-hmm. they like to burn CDs. They're, <gasps> the, she's like in her early 20s, but she likes to burn CDs. And I it took I me that. so far to not be like, you should listen to our Down the <laughs> Rabbit Hole, The Impact of Streaming, because you talked about that. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, so I'll have to. She asked for like some recommendations of things to put on the CD she'll burn for the car ride. So I'll have to Sweet. put that on there. Oh, I love that. I just want to bring that back. Making yeah. CDs and like making CDs for friends and like, yeah, that's I, I love that. Yeah. So apparently she has a CD um, slot or like mixer or whatever. So there we go. Amazing. Just because we mentioned John Mulaney. I, I was reading up on like his whole he did a couple nights at a venue in New York and I wasn't able to go but I really wanted mm. to but I heard they were really good so we'll wait on that and it has to be really good with everything that doesn't have to sorry I don't mean it like that it, it's bound to be really good with like all of the I feel like emotional depth and things that he's yeah. gone through mm-hmm. and I just want to recommend before I've even watched it Bo Burnham's special which I know came out yesterday but I haven't watched okay. it yet I'm going to watch it tonight. I, I was going to say, maybe I'll watch that tonight. Yeah. Or is it on Netflix? I think so. Hulu? Yeah. Okay. I can't even remember what it's called. It's like nothing or room or something like that. But okay. he's a freaking genius. So that's just goes out with a blind recommendation. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I will probably watch that right after this because my brain is pretty fried. Okay. I'll do our socials if that's okay. Do it. Yeah. Okay, so you can find the extended show notes, all the links that we talk about on our website, worldisburning.com. We're on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at worldisburning with no G, and on TikTok, at worldisburning with a G. We'll be posting, especially this week, lots of updates from the treaty people gathering, but then also lots of stuff about materials. The second season of Trace Materials starts coming out on June 16th, but you can subscribe and listen to that trailer now. Again, I'm just the research assistant. That's all I have to do with it, but you should still do that. And then while you're at it, you should go to our Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and maybe write something nice too. If you have less than a five-star review, you can email us, worldsburningpod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next Wednesday. See you next Wednesday.